0: Mm. I quit all nicotine products yesterday, like everything, so I'm not quite functioning right and we're just going to make this intro short and sweet and simple because I'm going to go back to sweating out poison until I feel better. Since I am unable to say anything uh, very positive or cheery for the intro, although this episode is great because it was recorded beforehand. Here is a voicemail from one of our listeners. Hello, my name's Erin. I'm from Colorado. I'm an artist, creativity and spiritual coach, a wife and a mom. And I think what's in my heart to share and what I wish I would learned when I was younger is how vitally important it is to cultivate our creativity and to empower ourselves to make the time in our lives to do the things we love, the things that bring us to life, The things that make us happy, the things that bring us closer to God and our spiritual path. I also believe in the power of mentoring and speaking truth into others' lives. I feel like I've learned more from my mentors than I have in school or books or anywhere else. And I think breathing life and encouragement and love into others and into each other is the greatest gift we can give and the greatest gift to receive. Thanks. Bye-bye. I love those voicemails, even though I hate everything right now. But um, we appreciate all your support. So I'm just going to say whether you subscribe to us on iTunes, write us a review on iTunes, follow us on social media, or even pitch in a couple bucks a month on Patreon, whatever you do to support us, it means the world to us. We're just going to keep it super short and sweet. And if you'd like to support us in any way, shape, or form, Everything you need to know is in the show notes of this episode, in the description, basically. Let's jump right in. Today's question Who are you? Think about it for a second. What makes you you? What kind of person are you? What do you stand for in the world? What do you believe in? What's your life about? What do you do with your life? You got some things going, ready to answer it. How do you know any of it's true? Think about it. I'm not saying that your self perception is wrong, I'm just saying that. Probably. The biggest asshat you meet today. I bet doesn't think that they're an asshat. They probably think they're a pretty decent person and justified for whatever they did, cutting you off or whatever. Our guest today is Georgia Loopy. She's an information designer, artist, author. Her book, Dear Data, is what really sucked me in. So for 52 weeks, her and a pen pal picked a topic like emotions, gratitude, complaining, and then they tried to record how that topic played out that week. Her work inspired me to track a few things I assumed were true about myself. Guess who turned out to be kind of an asset himself? This guy. I've gone my whole life thinking I'm unfiltered and just say what's on my mind. And sometimes I say things that hurts people's feelings and it's not my problem. Well, if you take a look at most of the instances when I say something that hurts somebody's feelings, it turns out that coincidentally, Something's going on in my life that I'm either uncomfortable about, scared about, angry about, whatever. And so even though I don't consciously mean to, there's some kind of reaction to me being uncomfortable and me saying something that makes other people uncomfortable. Really awful self-discovery. But uh, that's how change happens, is you, you figure out something's happening and then you can actually focus on it, so. Here's my conversation with Georgia Lupi, and I hope it inspires you to take a closer look. Don't assume anything. Hi.
1: Hi, Sam.
0: Uh, so, before we begin, who are you?
1: <laughs> uh, my name is Georgia. I'm an information designer. Um, I'm Italian and I live in New York. And in my day job, I work with data, but in a very handcrafted way.
0: One of the, the things that drew me to you is, so I worked a job where data was, I mean, going over the spreadsheets was the job almost. And it was my least favorite part of the job, but it was just staring at Excel. And part of what you do is make it really beautiful to look at and data can be boring on the surface, uh, especially when it's just put to you in numbers. And one of the things that you've done is you've made it really interesting and I think really captured the importance of discovery. So um, can you tell us about your your art? Because it is art. and yeah. And how you got here to, sure. to where you are now.
1: I define myself both a designer and an artist, and I always say that I use data as the material for my creation, I am interested also in the aspect that normally are not captured with data that are more, the one that are more qualitative, the one that are more nuanced, and the one that can reflect more our human nature. In fact, I like to think that my focus is researching on human nature through data and then using data as a creative material to tell my stories. And I've always been fascinated by numbers uh, and by collecting numbers. Um, I always tell this anecdote that um, when I was a little kid, I used to spend a lot of time on my grandmother Taylor shop, and I spent all of my days reorganizing air buttons, air threads, air ribbons, according to my rules, uh, and then drawing like labels that you know kind of like explain her how to understand my rules so for example buttons um could be like divided and organized by sizes by colors but also if they had like two holes or four holes together (laughs) that doesn't really make a sense for her for example but it did make a sense for me and then i've always been very fascinated And I mean, I've been drawing my whole life when I was a kid. And then, you know, when I understood that data visualization was a discipline or even a possibility, um, it came really natural to me to use quantities and structure to create visualizations. And I studied architecture in college because I didn't know that data visualization was even a thing.
0: (laughs) A a way you could get paid.
1: Yeah. (laughs) But I mean, that was back more than 10 years ago, actually, in Italy. And um, yeah, I didn't even know that visualizing data and communicating with data was a possibility. And architecture was my way to merge my need for structure and numbers with also my need to express myself, if that makes sense.
0: I'm not a numbers person, Mm. Uh, but so take me, take me back to the little girl in Italy in the, (laughs) it was a seamstress shop. Yeah,
1: yeah, seamstress shop. Uh,
0: What drew you to the buttons? What, what, what was that feeling that made you feel like if the buttons are this way, my way, Mm. tell me about that.
1: Well, I think that like I was very drawn to the idea that we had the same exact thing, which is a button, but in many different instances, different colors, different sizes, different little details that made the difference. And then these differences could be organized. They could be categorized. And I, I mean, I also found very beautiful to just lay out all of my buttons and compose my very organized stories. I think I, you know, my mom and my grandmom probably thought that I was a bit OCD. It's probably was true. But so, yeah, I mean, I think I found beauty in numbers and also, I mean, I'm saying so in hindsight, of course, and in retrospect, but the idea that you have some constraints to play with, which is like existing materials with these rules, I think it always gave me freedom. I I really find freedom in rules and constraints, if that makes any sense. Yeah,
0: so with the, with the work you do now, what is the goal or what are the, the findings that really excite you?
1: Yeah, I always like to think that data does not exist because data doesn't exist. And I always like to remind people that I work with that data is an abstraction of reality, something that we human beings designed because we couldn't store our life on a hard drive. And if you start thinking about data in this way, you can use data to distill single aspects of our human life and then reconstruct this human life in a way that makes sense according to a specific story. And so what moves me is trying to understand more of our human life through data. And then we can talk about some personal projects that I've been working on that might be kind of like clarifying for your audience a little bit more. I've also recently started to think about this idea that I call data humanism, when we have really to reclaim the subjective and imperfect aspects of data, of all kind of data, if we want them to be faithfully representative of our human nature.
0: Yeah, I fell in love with your personal project, Dear Data, mm-hmm. which you are the guinea pig, and mm-hmm. you are providing the data set to your own self. But I'm curious, before we do the deep dive into the personal stuff, I am interested in what have been some of the big revelations of the large, the big data sets? What what are some of the things you, you feel like you discovered about us as humans?
1: Well, I mean, that's a tricky question. And I always like to say, I, I'd like to reframe it and to say that we always expect data to give us like this, such like big and great revelations. Where, whereas I think that data needs to be more of like the beginning of the conversation than the end of the conversation. And so um, I'd like to reframe this a little bit in saying that most of the times, data do not provide you grand insights.
0: Oh, that's a shame.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a shame. But at the same time, having data is much more better than not having data. And data can definitely be an entry point for an exploration, an entry point to asking yourself more questions. And especially when it comes to personal data, it's really the beginning of a journey to explore yourself.
0: Whether it relates to your data or not, What do you feel is how to be a good human these days?
1: I think that I'm coming back to the concept of acceptance, Um, accepting all of the tiny details that make yourself who you are. And I think that the nice answer would have been to be a good human with other and to be a good human being in the society. But I feel that that comes after accepting the thing that it's hard to accept about yourself and this is a journey it's not easy i have not accepted all of myself but to mm. me in this moment of my life is again accepting more of um the thing that i've always been fighting against and you know i'm going off topic a bit but we spend so much time and energy in our life fighting against things that are the way they are and like hoping that they would be different if we only could like accept a bit more (laughs) i think life would be easier
0: yeah when i'm in acceptance i'm doing well which is not often or all the time i Mm. try (laughs) it's on my mind yeah so i mean The reason I I asked you to be a part of this podcast, because the discovery and for me, inventory is one of the biggest tools that I use Mm -hmm. is to take. I mean, it's much simpler, but it's I, I like to take the end of the day and just think about what went right and what went wrong. And then what's my intention moving forward? And what you've done is you've taken it so much further. You've taken it so much more to a root level to where I know every time I go, okay, I need to forget what I think I know, right? Because mm-hmm. like you said, we make these stories, we make stories, we'll look at the data. And all of a sudden, we think we know yeah. everything. And, and thank you for reminding me that, uh, you know, it's just the beginning, we don't know much. But so with the personal data, can you, can you start by telling us about Dear Data, how the project came about? And sure. then we'll dive into it a little <laughs> bit more.
1: Sure. Um, Dear Data was uh, one of the projects that really, let's say the project that really changed my life and profession the most. Uh, I also like to say that it was my big data hungover cure. <laughs> <laughs> it's a collaboration with now my friend, um, information designer, Stephanie Pozovic, who is an American and she lives in London and we met only twice in our life and we discovered that we We have so many personal and professional similarities. Uh, We both were working with data in this very handcrafted way. I mean, I should say that I draw a lot with data and my work with data really requires spending manual time uh, decoding and drawing with data. And, And she actually was doing the same and she did the same. And we decided to challenge ourselves and see if we could possibly get to know another human beings through data only. And for one year, every week, we collected personal data about very mundane, uh, weekly shared topics. So from our complaints to the interaction with our partners, from the compliment that we received to the sound of our surrounding. So personal data annotated with a lot of details that at the end of the week, we would manually hand drawn on a postcard sized sheet of paper that we would send from New York to London when she leave and from London to New York where i lived and so for 52 weeks we composed a portrait of ourselves to share with the other person and a portrait of the other person that we shared with ourselves and the project i mean It was amazing, not only because it led to a lot of personal revelations and insights, but also because it got picked up by so many people, like ordinary people who didn't even know what data was that uh, wanted to experiment on themselves doing the same thing.
0: Yeah. So just for our listeners, uh, uh, what you do is you normally when you think of data, right? My Mm -hmm. first thought is spreadsheet. Yeah, But what you do is you turn it into a piece of art where you'll draw some filigree and each scroll or each leaf on the filigree represents whatever you're measuring. And you've done it in so many different ways to visualize it. And part of the fun, I mean, you've made data fun. Mm-hmm. And so what's interesting to me about self-reflection is normally it—it it is so from our perspective or the way we think it went yeah right so for example you could think like i could ask hey how are you who are you you could say well i'm nice i'm hard working right but then the second you start collecting how many 25 hour blocks could i be focused for in a day <laughs> you know yeah. uh you might it's truth you know there's no i mean, you can interpret what it means but uh, one of my favorite ones was how often you showed love and appreciation for strangers versus how often you showed love and appreciation to the people who you should, your family, you know? And I, I think being nice to strangers is all well and good <laughs> necessary actually, but, to still. <laughs> be, but still it made me think about, I need to start calling my friends and let them know. Yeah. I haven't seen you in a couple months. I love you. You know? And so, walk me through the process of you pick one thing and it's almost it almost feels like you allow yourself not to know the answer and so tell me about the process of it and then your favorite things that you've learned about yourself
1: sure um so it's interesting because like stephanie and i decided the topic for the week but then each of us went to ask different questions like our separate way to understand you know what type of data to collect so for example if the topic of the week was, you know, investigating the thank yous we said and we received, or let's say the topic was thank you. So an idea of gratitude, I, for example, went and um, recorded, like noticed and tracked all of the thank you that I said, the thank you that I said in English, the grazie that I said in Italian to my Italian um, people that I was speaking with, and what was the motivation for the thank you? And was it really needed or was it more like a courtesy type of thank you? And who was the rece- <laughs> (laughs) recipient and then at the end of the week um like even more details because I'm kind of like obsessed with details but also if it was a thank you set in real life or texted or emailed. So kind of like an intense uh, week of data collection. And at the end of the week, I would like sit with uh, with my logs and I would understand what was the best way to tell my story visually. And one could have um, the logs laid out chronologically one after the other. That's the simplest way. But in this case, I really realized by looking at my data, how many thank yous I say to strangers and how few thank yous I say to the people that uh, matters to me. And then I decided to group my data visually in this way so grouping them according to who I was saying thank you to and it jumps at you so much when you see that like for example how many thank you I say to waitresses and waiters I'm really compulsive thinker to (laughs) this type of people but then you know I realized that I I don't thank so much Um, for example my uh, at the time boyfriend now my husband what's also interesting though is that I that week I recorded also the thank you that I received and uh, my husband like when he saw that, you know, in my in my log, there were just, let's say, 10 thank you that he said to me. He told me, I'm sure that I thank you more. <laughs> but this is so interesting. That's not true. It's because he it didn't count. He wasn't counting. And so in our perception, as you said in the beginning, we're always like nicer or I don't know, we kind of like we overlook the details that actually kind of matters
0: if I don't keep track I will uh I'll think I'm a hero or I'm really like just <laughs> yeah. kind of selfish you know
1: yeah and, and so I think that like I learned so many things um the thing that I learned the most was how to pay attention I became much more aware of my days my surroundings my thoughts my behaviors my interaction and I also It sounds a little naive maybe to say, but I also felt much more in the present. And I like to say that sometimes collecting data can be a form of meditation, if you allow me to say so, because you're forced to acknowledge a thought, a word, something in the moment that it's coming because you're tracking it. And then, you know, whatever your mind is wondering about, you're reminded to acknowledge and be in the present.
0: Yeah. So with, say, with paying attention. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's so easy to get into routine and habit, right? I mean, it's a survival instinct, you know, is that you use less energy. Therefore, if there's a big famine or food shortage, (laughs) you'll have all these routines in place that won't require as much calories or, you know, whatever. But so when you started to pay attention, and I think, you know, if you say, hey, just pay attention, the the world's overwhelming. Mm -hmm. But when you started to pay attention to say, how many times you look at the clock or how many times you say, thank you. What changed in your own, did you expect to have a change in your life or did you just happen to be like, wow, this is important in its own way?
1: Yeah. So I think that, as you said, when you start noticing and acknowledging everything, it can be overwhelming. And this is why we decided to focus on one very specific topic every time. And I think that this is also the power of, it's not even data, but like an analytical mindset, like really able to distill mundane aspects and then to make them relevant and to give these mundane details the power to tell a story in a way. So every time that we started with a topic and then I started with the topic, I probably was not expecting a big change or revelation, but I I was interested in some specific questions. And so for example, even in a week that it's seemingly very cold, like how many cold as a topic, like how many times do we check the time, then it was interesting to understanding when do I feel more inclined to watch my clock and to check the time so what am I doing is because I'm bored is because I'm hungry is because I'm late and so this is really the idea that data can be a pretext like really a tool to then analyze deeper and more you know kind of like even emotional aspects of your life and so I think that like every time that you start a data collection a type of personal data collection is it's important um, to understand what are the questions that you want to ask
0: yeah what are your favorite like so if you're just telling a friend hey you, sh- you should try this you might be surprised what are your favorite ones huh. so far
1: it depends if you want to dig into even possibly tricky matters or if you want to feel just much more present in your days because for example one of the weeks that i found more interesting was a week of negative thoughts Mm -hmm. So acknowledging all of the negative thoughts that pop into your mind. And I found it very challenging in the first days to really realize what was the, the negative feeling. Was it anxiety? Was it fear of something specific? Was it just confusion? But then by having to name it because you have to categorize it, you know, for your drawing, you realize how it's much more powerful to give it a name, to categorize it, and then, you know, possibly to do something about it. Because if you let the thought linger without, you know, kind of like realizing what it is, well, it stays more and you actually don't really know what it is. And that was interesting for me. But equally, all of the week's that. We tackled negative topics such as negative thoughts or envies or, well, the mood for the week was, of course, focused on, you know, more pessimistic and not very cheerful things. Whereas I would suggest, for example, as a starter, a week of beauty. So start noticing everything that sparks beauty in you. It can be something visual. It can be a tiny detail. It can be a sunset. It can be a song. It can be a taste. And then ask yourself why you find it beautiful. And that's, I think, is a good start to be much more observant, like appreciative of all of the details that are around you. And, And also possibly to tell you something about your concept of beauty.
0: Yeah. It's funny how I'm thinking about, wow, if I started keeping track of negative thoughts, the impact it would actually have on the negative, like, because it would be hard to just be like, I'm just going to live exactly the way I am <laughs> and be very honest to my, my true way through the world. But the, I imagine, cause you keep, continue to do it. Um, does it, effect how many times you are having negative thoughts or how many times you are noticing beauty cuz you want the score or- It does
1: i mean of course you you're you're under this obser- observer effect the whole time cuz you're you're noticing but also you need to track and so it kind of like changes a little bit of your perception but then and especially in the first days but then it, it really becomes a ritual just as like texting your mom cuz you're home you know something that you know that you need to do like it really can be embedded in your life, and I found interesting that you said, "Well, you know, then I need to be very honest." But another thing that I found through this like year of um, sharing my data diary with another person and now to the world because it's a book and it, you know it has been public, is that it's really liberating to share every type of like flaw, habits, like with another person. In form of data, which is not exactly as sharing your journal, it's much more abstract in a way. But then also people who wrote us, I think they wrote us and the project got so, let's say, well-received, especially because we don't relate to perfection as human beings, but we do relate to all of the aspects that made us human, that make us humans, that are not necessarily the uh, most flattering ones, right?
0: Yeah, I, I to me it feels very personal, mm-hmm. like it's very voyeuristic, you know. <laughs> and I, depending on what you're capturing, you know, it's very vulnerable to be like, this is how many times I do this.
1: Yeah, you these know, are I, all of the envies that I, you know, felt the moment that I felt envious for a week.
0: Yeah, so it feels like besides your your paid work, which is stunningly beautiful the work you do for companies but for your own creative projects your own art and expression it is a pure process of discovery like if i could capture why i'm interested in talking to you why i want to try and do some of this in my life it is so it's so in line with what i believe that you know the world is meant to be discovered but you're also meant to be discovered Mm -hmm. like it's very hard to be yourself Oh, yes, that's like like, it's a funny thing that it is so hard to be yourself. And what drew you to wanting to know these to wanting to know yourself on this level or wanting to know another human being on this level rather than the mask I wear? Hmm. You know,
1: that's a really interesting question. I think that to leave a good life or a better life or a life that is filled with more purpose, I feel that I have to accept myself more than I normally would do. And acceptance comes from acknowledgement. So if you can force acknowledgement a little bit, maybe you come closer to acceptance. And the idea of dissecting and distilling myself in such a profound way even if sometimes confronting with this like tricky matters um, is not easy. Well, then it gives me tools to hopefully, if I want, if I'll be able to do the work to get closer to accepting who I am. And, you know, it's also, it's also that in our professional life, we always wear a mask. We are, you know, uh, designers who stand up and speak in front of people and we publish our work and like from the outside, even from Instagram and what we publish. It seems that we all have everything figured out, which I think is not the case, at least not for me. (laughs) And when you start accepting and telling out loud that, yes, I'm vulnerable, yes, I don't have it figured out and I'm discovering myself and it's hard and probably will not be easy and it will not be um, a short process, it's really liberating for me. So, yeah.
0: Tell me about some of the times that, you know, when you're going through disappointment or going through trying to figure out who you are, mm-hmm. if you don't mind sh- just sharing some of the the starting places, because it's hard to see through your excitement and exuberance. And it, it I feel like you know yourself better than I know myself. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> and so it's a very it's a very attractive quality. Uh-huh. But I'm, I'm trying to find I guess I want I want to know the starting place
1: like yeah i feel that i am one of the things that i like like the most about myself and then we'll get to the other part is that i can really be very very enthusiastic about a project my work creating drawing i mean and that can really moves me very very much and so all of the times that i found myself questioning if the type of work that i was doing was right if you know i was kind of like wasting my time and i, I don't want to like talk in the past, because I'm still questioning about, you know, what is my next big thing? Is, is my life really meaningful and purposeful? I think that then I get reminded about how how much pleasure and drive and motivation that I find by creating and by doing my work. And that to me, I don't know if that makes sense, but to me is always uh, really reassuring. Every moment that I feel like I have no purpose, I know that I I have a place that it's me and my creation and in my being with my creation. And it feels like a safe place to me in a way. I don't know if it makes sense.
0: No, it makes total sense.
1: And yeah, I mean, in terms of like moments when I doubt everything, I then remind myself that I feel that for making good things and meaningful things in life, well, it takes time. And I remember that I was very impatient in my 20s. And the one thing that I would tell myself in my 20s, if I could, would be you don't have to have it all figured out now. And so probably even now when I feel like everybody else is know what they're doing and where they're going, well, first of all, it's like to think it's nice to think that probably is not the case for most people. But then also that, you know, it's OK and you will I will be OK in five or 10 years anyway, because I also know that I will keep on asking myself questions. So I think it's both like having this safe place that is creating, but also knowing that I will never stop asking myself questions and doubting what I'm doing. And so I don't think that I will be wasting huge amount of times in my life, you know, like going without a motivation.
0: What are the favorite questions you've, you've ever asked of yourself? And wh- what are the questions you're excited to ask yourself coming up in the near future?
1: Hmm. It changed lately also because of Personal things that happened to my life, like my dad passed away in a, in an accident a um, few months ago, and I'm an only child, and my mom is in Italy, and both of my parents were only children, so practically it's really my mom and I, my family right now. I think the questions that I'm asking myself for the future are different than the ones that I was asking myself like a few years ago, and they're more in the realm of what does it mean to live a good life and to have a life that is meaningful, not only for me, but for others. Whereas I think that before, I don't know, there's a certain fragility that what happened to me this year brought to my inner self. Whereas before the questions that I was asking myself more were, what is your next big thing? What will you be working on the next year? How can you maybe get to a place where you're more satisfied about your work? Whereas now I think that, as I told you before, maybe my work is my safe place and I'm trying to... Figure out how to be a better human being. I I don't have I don't have an answer. It's just really well, it, an open we question. We need to compare
0: some notes. What do you have so far? <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> well, what do I have so far, and like, what does it mean to be a a good human being? I think it's like keeping on refining your purpose probably, and making sure that you're trying to be the best self that you can be, and not what you think. That other, like not comparing with other best selves, but again, accepting who could be your best self that you could possibly be. And also, I think being patient with yourself if you're not there yet. And also knowing that this idea of yourself is not fixed in time and in space, but is always evolving. And that's something so hard, I think, to accept that we are evolving and that we'll never probably be be to a place of stillness if that makes sense
0: yeah what uh so i know you're an artist and you probably one part of it is that you can't help yourself (laughs) yeah but um (laughs) what about drawing out the data i mean you literally take numbers Mm -hmm. and then try to make them beautiful and why did you get here (laughs) why is that something that you wanted to emphasize and share with the world and say, this is beautiful. And you might not have never thought of it, but I'm going to show you why.
1: Yeah. So I think that I really, First of all, I see data everywhere. Like even in our conversation, I could like pick up like things that could become data points for me to visualize. I mean, now it's so embedded in my mind that I I could tell stories out of data about everything. And that's not necessarily a quality. It can can even become a curse because you're always obsessed with that. But also I believe that data is a tool that now we start to understand that can be meaningful and useful for us. And the idea of drawing with data and making this data not so cold and impersonal, but much more, uh, let's say, warm. it's also to make it become more accessible. And I guess that with the Dear Data Project, both Stephanie and I wanted to challenge the impersonality that data might communicate and using this impersonal and cold thing that we call data to communicate messy and emotional and imperfect lives with the idea that hopefully we could make this tool accessible to others to tell stories, to ask themselves questions, because like in a way, journaling with data and then drawing with data, so spending time with your data is is actually not, not a shortcut to knowing more about yourself as sometimes we associate with data like something that is like faster and like shortcut to know. But I do believe that it's interesting to get to spend time with your data as opposed to save time <laughs> with data.
0: And it's, it's, it's similar to, to journaling where it's like spending time with you mm-hmm. and, and who you are. One of my favorite things about the way you lay it out is the lack of efficiency. (laughs) I mean, it's, things are tight together and with the, the leaves on the branch that you draw where each leaf, some leaves are filled in and that means something else and some leaves aren't, is it reminds me of being a kid with that childlike wonder of the world and I have uh, my, my best friend and I, I think are going to do something similar. Just is a fun, Amazing. a fun thing, because it's like when you're a kid and you see like, I don't know, I would see like some rosary beads or something which weren't around much, but and I wanted to count each one. I wanted to know mm-hmm. exactly how many were there, or I would see pattern on the ground where there's diamonds. And I wanted to know how many blue diamonds there were for no other reason than to just be curious and to take a look at stuff that you might not pay attention to. And the more I pay attention to the things I normally would overlook, it's like gratitude in in Mm -hmm. a way where I've recently discovered that buildings have things past eye level. (laughs) You know, (laughs) so I I knew this. But so now when I'm walking, I look up, you know, I like to sit down and look at the tops of the buildings that somebody spent almost as much time designing what I would see every day. And not taking things for granted,
1: mm-hmm.
0: what made you change from architecture?
1: I've never been interested in designing buildings i
0: but you went to school for I it I
1: went to school for it, <laughs> it because honestly, can I be completely honest, I really didn't know what I wanted to do at that time in my life. Um, I was also so much into contemporary dance. I mean, I was really dancing a lot, and there was a moment when I was kind of questioning. Should I be a ballerina or, you know, but then I decided that, I don't know, for some reason, I didn't, it didn't feel safe to just bet on my body, you know, and then the thing that resonated with me the most, in all the possibility that I had was architecture. You know why? Because it was a non-decision. It was not super scientific. It was not only artsy. And I decided to go to that path because at the moment I, I didn't want to decide, but then, Towards the end of my studies, I started to be interested in urban mapping projects. So much more at the scale of the city than at the scale of the building. Exactly because there was so many more, inf- much more information then, and I was interested in the, very interested in the presentation of information rather than the design of the building. And I knew that it wouldn't be an architect anyway and I was struggling though because all of my um like the people who were studying with me they knew that they wanted to be an architect I didn't know what I wanted to be but I knew that I didn't want to be an architect also because I don't take pleasure in like very long type of projects and if you are an architect you need to commit to this building that you're designing for like years possibly and then progressively I mean I went to interaction design, so different types of visual design, but it was kind of like really an inquiry on what I like to do. And when I discovered that data visualization was a thing, I felt so in love with the idea that I could tell visual stories out of actual information that I just knew when I saw the first examples of data visualization, I, I think I just knew. I recognized it. This is what I want to do. It's like, yeah.
0: Wow. One of my favorite things to do, which is probably why I have a podcast, is to get people talking about themselves, (laughs) because I think it tells you so much about who they are, is their outlook on themselves and their work. And you mentioned purpose and that Mm. collecting information, being aware of what you're doing on a real level helps guide your purpose. And so I'm curious right now, what is your purpose? How do you capture what you're trying to give to the world?
1: (laughs) Uh, Again, I think I have a longer term purpose and shorter terms purposes. And the longer one is, again, to try to figure out my way to live a a good life. And well, the shorter terms, especially with my work, I think is creating work that hopefully can, I wouldn't even say impact people's life because it's not what I, I mean. I'm not even aiming so high, but like move people lives, move them in a way that it, it can even be just only, I didn't realize that I'm not paying attention to my uh, fiancé's, you know, thank yous that he says. Something that can make you, again, reflect a little bit on yourself or um, helping other asking questions that they wouldn't have asked. I mean, I don't really, I don't think that I have solutions or grand insights to share with the world, but maybe there is something that is guided by these data um, exploration and by the artistic creation that can hopefully resonate with people. And this to me in this moment, I think it's a it's a good way to drive my days besides the passion that I have for like spending a lot of time drawing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, mean,
0: I love drawing.
1: And again, I'm, I should also mention that I feel that I'm so not good at talking about what I'm doing I mean I'm, I'm so much better at just doing my work that I <laughs> it's hard for me to have this conversation it's an amazing conversation but I also feel that the way that I have to express myself is mostly through my work and not so much through words
0: <laughs> yeah well we're, we're definitely gonna have, have links to point people <laughs> towards your work because that's really where the the juice is but I mean for me yeah I was I was fascinated at you know, I thought I knew myself pretty well and I thought I had good habits of taking inventory and, and these kind of things. And I think that they work, but I thought this would be such a fun, it can get dull sometimes. Mm-hmm. What did I do right today? What did I do wrong today? What am I going to do tomorrow? It can get dull, but I thought this would be a fun way to mix it up for me to, and I, I think it'd be fun to, from now until when the, this podcast gets posted to collect on something yeah. and maybe even have you collected uh, together with your fiance at all
1: he's not really into collecting <laughs> probably <laughs> also because he was with me for the entire year of the data collection and mm-hmm. he got pretty exhausted just by seeing me <laughs> uh recording but then but I remember that, like one week, I collected data on him, and the topic was really just interaction with our partners. And he knew that I, and I would share with him, of course, the topic for the week in their data. But then that week, I told him, I mean, I, I can't really tell you what I'm collecting this week because I didn't want him to spoil the uh, the data collection. And that was the week when I realized how many things go completely overlooked. In the relationship with the people that you're most like close with, it's like counting just the times that he carries bag with me, bags for me, or that he leaves me um, eat from his plate with my hands, (laughs) or that he kind of like just how many times he's just okay with my complaints. I mean, these are things that you so much give for granted.
0: Yeah, I noticed almost. I I actually haven't found any of your work that points to answers in the way that most data Mm -hmm. does most data is like hey we're gonna hire you you're gonna (laughs) find out this for us and all your work you preface your whole work by data is totally up to interpretation the data i get is only based on my point of view and it's not a universal truth but it's the truth that i see through my own lens and so what do you feel like? What do you feel about leaving things up to interpretation? It drives me nuts. I want every mm. single podcast to have a very clear message to drive home rather, you know. Uh,
1: but you do want to have this message to drive home for you. And that's amazing because you know what you're doing. But at, th- at the same time, I think that when you put it out in the world, it can mean many different things from different people. And that is exactly what I'm saying with data. And also to get it to a, a little bit a broader level, every type of data is imperfect because it's primarily human-made. And even if it comes from a sensor, well, a human being designed the sensor and decided what was collected and what was left out. So if we start thinking that every type of data is anyway subject to an interpretation, well, then I guess we can start seeing the power of data, which is, again, having a lot more of information that we would have without but still taking them with a grain of salt that, first of all, again, they've been collected and so something, you know, could have been left out. And at the same time, that as you see the data or or as you see the visualization, depending on your personal stories and on the things that you're interested in in the moment, well, they can spark a different type of um, reaction. But this is the same with books, with, again, podcasts, with stories. I think that, you know... The recipient then contextualizes everything according to where he or she is at the moment, right?
0: Yeah. Do you do the same for clients? Where you <laughs> say here, here's it. Make you can make of it what you want.
1: Yeah. See, that's interesting. In the, in the beginning of our company, because we didn't have developers, we would, um, let's say, craft visual stories that in a way would lead to an interpretation by the by us, like authors, like say journalistic visual stories, like data visualizations that would be printed on, um, especially the main Italian newspaper. We collaborated with them for a long time. But lately, and that to me is much more interesting, we are giving our clients tools, like visual tools, interactive tools, where they can ask the questions to the data in a visual way, even if they are not programmers or statisticians. And so that is much more giving them, again, the instruments and the tools to explore their data in a way that maybe they wouldn't have thought of because we are combining different types of data sets, visualizing data over time and then also and with different other um, you know, kind of like features, but again, giving them the possibilities to explore their data sets and and to have Periodical answers to specific questions, for sure. So that's, that's mainly what we're doing. A lot of the time, we're also designing the visual systems for them to represent the data. So yeah, guidelines on how to best represent certain types of data in different situations. So That's another thing that we do pretty often.
0: Nice. I, I must have already asked this, but I want to make sure I have it on the podcast. What are the favorite things you discovered about yourself, even if it meant that the discovery wasn't pleasant mm-hmm. but you're glad that you knew it or the favorite things that you go wow I didn't you know yeah discoveries
1: well definitely think that were unpleasant um my um, relationship with my closer family and friends were not it was not nice to discover that I'm not as grateful as I think and then I Complain so much with the people that I'm with, not necessarily about themselves or, or their behavior, but like I, I tend to complain a lot about stuff in general. And so realizing that it was not, you know, was not, was not something that I was really ready to accept. But then by by knowing it and by seeing it, I think that even after two years that the project is over, I I can kind of like hear myself complaining and then I stop. Or I can see when there are moments and I'm not thankful, I'm not grateful, and I'm just giving for granted all of my relationships. And I mean, it's not that I'm like nice every day, but when I realize that it's like a longer period of time that I don't do so, I tend to do so more often. And other things, I think that this project made me less afraid of sharing. Again, really, not only it made me much more in tune with myself, but like one year of sharing every details of myself with another human being that I didn't know before, and then being open to make it into a book and, you know, to open it up to people, it is so liberating. So it helped me not being afraid of sharing my habits, my flaws, my it just increases. Um, really.
0: I just got I just got called out by my girlfriend for complaining mm-hmm. uh when we landed in New York and I she said you're just, you're complaining a lot and I have no memory. So I said, well, no, not, not really. And, I, counting. and she said, listen, I don't, I don't want to trudge through this, but you complained about the ride over here. You complained about this. You complained about that. And wow, uh, I had just somehow flown completely over my head. I was, it was like autopilot, you know, mm-hmm. I love good service. And when it's not, when things aren't good service, I'm like, I'm kind of a snob.
1: That's exactly what I felt. I'm complaining. I mean, I'm still complaining a lot, but like I've been complaining so much more in the past about this place is all bad light. It's too cold. Technology's not working. Like, why do I even bother to say it out loud? It's, yeah, because other people are with you and maybe they're not happy to hear you complaining.
0: Yeah. Okay, so Georgia, to take us out, what would your, uh, you mentioned some advice you would give to your younger self. but mm. But if you could distill one message to either make it to a younger version of yourself or young people that you care about, or even people that you don't know who, mm-hmm. you know, I've been on the planet this long and this is this is what I want to share with the world now of what I've gathered, what would it be?
1: I think two things. One is definitely, especially for younger people, don't think that you have to have it figured out already. It's not what it's supposed to be and it's so okay to not have it all figured out because otherwise life will not be fun so that's one thing and there's another thing that I'm borrowing to my yoga teacher and I think um, she she borrowed it to another one um, um, that is don't be a perfectionist but be an explorer
0: Mm, that's perfect
1: that's something that I like
0: Well, good luck on your explorations. I can't wait to go online. I can't wait to take a look at some of the things I have overlooked. And so thank you for being
1: here. Thank you so much, Sam. It was such a nice conversation. Thank you. Hi, beautiful humans. I'm Davis from Corvallis, Oregon. I'm a health and well-being designer. Uh, When I was in school to become a teacher long ago, I learned that the adage, everything changes was true so coupled with working to live my life as though my only way is to have no way i seem to have been able to find
0: the moments of serenity and clarity and i've also
1: learned that if you drink enough addictive substances that you're likely to become addicted peace
0: and that's a wrap thanks for listening thank god it's over uh hopefully the next episode i'll have a little bit more no nicotine time under my belt because this is this is awful okay i hope you guys have a great day um everything you need to know if you want to support us if you want more of georgia anything it's it's in the description of the podcast so wherever you found us Find the description. It's all written down, links and such. Okay, that's it.